Welcome to Homicide the Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Brandon, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm good. Anna's also here with us. Hi, Anna. Hi, everybody. How are you? I'm so good. Good. We also have an audience today. I know. Our second episode, and we already have an audience. I know. We're so excited. So we have Ethan, who is behind camera. Hi, Ethan. Hello. And then we have our friend Gigi here, who's just lovely. Hi. <laughs> From far in From the corner. From far away. And then we, of course, have Marty, uh, Miss Martina, and KK's, our cat and dog here with us. So I'm excited for this week's episode. But Brandon, you did something fun today. Tell everyone. I did. I It it feels so random to talk on a murder podcast, but I went to a sewing class. That's not weird. You're gay. It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that was an accident. Yes, okay. I mean, I think it could be both of those, but yeah. It was actually really fun. I did a sewing class once before where I went with our friend Kelda and Brandon in Denver, and it was... Oh, it was Brandon. It was Brandon, yeah. I thought you were talking about yourself. I'm sorry. No, I I don't typically talk about myself in third person, Mm -hmm. but I went to this class, and it was at this older woman's basement of her home oh. and it was really creepy it was like some someone's grandmother's home it was really fun it, we had a good time but it wasn't really a sewing class this one was actually like a class where they actually went through the machine and talked about the machine and what it does and like the technical side of it which was super cool how many times did your needle like stop you know when you're sewing and your needles like fucker and it the, comes undone and it stops working is that a just fucker? no when like it your comes needle. unthreaded that's what it's called yeah just once oh Aren't you talented? I love that. I love that you're doing that. But at the same time, you were doing something completely different than I. What were you doing today? I was was an improv again today, which all three humans that are here besides Brandon (laughs) are in my class and they fucking killed it today. And it was a good class. It was good. It was fun. And my voice, I am not in puberty. (laughs) Um, Just my voice is weird right now because, oh, wait, did I have vodka? Oh, I may have had a drink and it might have had vodka and I'm allergic to it and I lose my voice. So... Oh, so this should be a fun one. I don't know what I've ordered. Fuck. So you're going to be like a pre-bubescent. Yeah, but I was, I just got over being sick. So I don't know. It's probably the vodka thing. Anyway, (laughs) we'll see how this goes. So welcome. We're excited. We have two new murders for you. So like we talked about last time, our flow is that Brandon comes to the table with a murder that I don't know about. I come to the table with a murder that he does not know about. And then we talk about it. Except this is the second episode that I know your murder. Brandon, stop spilling beans and giving my (laughs) secrets away. Uh, Either way, it's a good one. I'm excited for it. Today's episode is on New York murders, specifically to New York City. New York City, yes. So before we dive into the murders, remember that this is episode two, which launches on October 31st with with two episodes. We were going to do three originally, and then Anna, our producer, is like, that's aggressive because (laughs) our episodes are too long. So, But we also um, didn't get the last story done yet, so... Also calling me out again, because Brandon did get it done. I did not. No, uh, it's almost done. Oh. But I've been further along. But that's like typical Mm. you and I relationship. What? I'm a little bit more like planned out and you're more like, yeah, let's just do it now. I'm more aloof. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good word. I know. (laughs) All right. Well, follow. We're on several places, but uh, you can listen to us anywhere that podcasts are shown. Aired. Aired. And then we're on YouTube, which is where you can see this lovely video of us making faces and all this weird shit, because that's what we do. And follow us on social media. Boom. All right. Done. Brandon, are you ready for your episode? I'm super excited for my... All right. (laughs) Let's dive in. All right, cool. I said I'm already ready already. Brandon, 
You know, I love that, right? I know you do. That's why I said it. Okay. My (laughs) best friend that unfortunately died by suicide, she used to come over anytime that I would see her and we would, whatever, she would always say, I'm all ready, ready, all ready. And it was the (laughs) fucking cutest thing. And I love that you just said that. Well, we say it all the time. So it's not like it's that much of a surprise. But it started with her. So I just. It did. It did. Sorry, I stole it. You steal all the things. Okay, go ahead. Tell me everything. Okay, cool. So this time I picked an even older story than before. Than the one in Tampa? Yes. Yeah, so oh, my gosh. New York story is not one of this century oh. or the last one, oh. technically. It's, it was 19. I just say it's not the next, <laughs> last century. I'll just read what I have. That's, I okay. do better with that okay. for the most part. Okay. So I have, it was an ordinary day on July 28th, 1841, when a few men were walking near Sybil's Cave in Hoboken, New Jersey, right off of the Hudson in Sybil's Cave is actually Hoboken's oldest man-made cave designed with a Gothic arc-style entrance in 1832 by the Stevens family who wanted to take advantage of the natural spring on the property, which I thought was interesting because it's kind of, I think from what I know, it's a little bit more run down now, but I never would have thought that there would be a natural spring right off of Hudson, which is known to be gross. I don't know. Well, while these guys were looking at the Hudson water from Sybil's Cave, they noticed something large floating in the Hudson River. And so the men grabbed a rowboat to check out what they what they were looking at. So as they reached the object, it was pretty obvious what it was. So floating in the water, covered in visible bruising, a torn dress and a hat, and a tight strip of cloth tied around her neck was the body of Mary Cecilia Rogers. Mary. Uh, yeah. Oh, bless her heart. I know. She was floating? She was floating. In the Hudson. In the Hudson. This was in the 1800s? 1841. So, I mean, God, that did not Hudson change, did has it? been active for, with <laughs> dead bodies for a very long time. Since the uh, Europeans came yeah. over and stole the lands. Yeah. So all yeah. those people that are jet skiing in the Hudson and doing Oh my all God, our things. classmate Nicole. <gasps> we should ask her if she's seen dead bodies. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to give context to that? Because now just some random person named Nicole Shit, yeah. should okay, be in so the water. <laughs> this girl that we, lovely, lovely woman that we do improv with works for a company that does like jet skis and all that kind of stuff on the Hudson. Jet skis and like a boat with hot tubs. I don't know. We have to do it, obviously. It's right? like but yachting. The yachting. Yes. I, mean, I don't know. I think. I don't. Or a ship. <laughs> a ship she's got a ship she's on got the a house. ship yeah. she is a captain of a ship that's what we're gonna go with okay perfect so this is the story of mary cecilia rogers so born in 1820 in lyme connecticut which i believe that's lyme disease comes from lyme, lyme connecticut? connecticut i'm pretty sure I just, that might need to be fact checked but i'm maybe they like 98 percent sure found, that's true isn't lyme a, i don't know keep going anyways <laughs> If I made that up, I'm sorry. Okay, so born in 1820 in Lyme, Connecticut, Mary grew up as an only child. So when she was 17, her father, James Rogers, died in a steamboat explosion, causing Phoebe Rogers to become a widow at a really early age. Mm. So this was back in the 1800s, and being a woman in that time was worse than it is now, although there's a lot of things that need to change right now for women as well. But James was the breadwinner, so they had to figure out what to do from that financial burden mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So eventually, they ended up migrating to New York City in 1837. Phoebe began to run a boarding house off of Nassau Street in the now financial district of Manhattan mm. to make ends meet, and Mary would help. So now every source I read, which I read a lot of sources, and since this is an older story, there was a lot of different information, so yeah. I kind of just tried to wrap it all together. Yeah. But every source I read talked about how gorgeous 
Mary grew up to be. So she was tall and slender with jet black hair. Some people would talk about Mary as if she was naive and unaware of how dangerous people were in New York and how dangerous the world can be in general. Like she was a a meek and timid girl. Mm. So others talked about her, how she was working class, she was single, she was a virgin, yet she was sexually available. And sources stated that some considered her a whore because although she was a virgin, she had seductress-like qualities that people thought of her as sexually available. Okay, can we address that real quick? Yeah. Sexually available? Yeah, right. In the 1800s? Yeah. That's really fucking weird. Yeah. Are you sexually available? I mean, I think... I mean, it's a weird way to put it. I feel I like everybody could be sexually available. But, sexually- <laughs> but just because you look attractive doesn't mean that you're just off sleeping with a bunch of people and... I know. Well, and it's interesting that you're saying that she was meek and all these other things. Like, did people label her as that? Or was yeah, she so, actually? Well, people labeled her as that, yeah. but she was. She had a very composed demeanor. And mm. But because she was attractive, although she was a virgin, people thought of her as as a seductress. So they thought that she was could have been a whore, that it was all a lie and all mm. that kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Fun stuff that we label women that we still do now. So Sexually available. Yeah. And then one thing that played a big role in in what people thought, which I didn't see this note right before you asked that question, was oh. uh, what played a big role is that she was really independent. She had a really independent nature mm-hmm. uh, for a woman at that time, being that her mom was widowed. <laughs> she was doing her own business, that she Mary just gradually became more independent. So when Mary was 20, she ended up meeting a man named John Anders, it, what is also now the Tribeca area, so in the same area that she was in. So this is fun. Amazed by her looks, he propositioned Mary to work at his store to basically be an attraction, to lure men in. Because she looked sexually available. Yes, and she was attractive and she had this like aura around her that would kind of bring in people. Kind of like what my mom says about you. You have like this aura that people are just attracted to even like the strangest people. Yeah, Brandon's mom (laughs) does say that a lot about me that there's people. Okay, there's, there's two things. People either really fucking hate me or they really like me. But... A lot of times I have a lot of people that come up to me. Like you'll get groped in the middle of nowhere. People will like touch your beard or. Has happened in Target. Do some weird shit to you. Remember that when that happened in Target? Yeah. I don't think it's that way. Anna, do you find that to be something (laughs) about me? What? That people will grope you? Yes. (laughs) Like we were at a parade in this person. I find you to be groped groped a lot. (laughs) You seem gropeable. We were were at a parade in Tampa and somebody came up to him who was walking in the parade. Came up just to him and like pet his face and walked away. They also kissed me. Oh, he kissed you too. Yeah. Yeah. Not on the lips because I was like, ew. (laughs) Um, But no, there was this one time that we were in Target and I was looking, I was walking in an aisle and there was a kind of a weird guy in the next aisle. Brandon was with yeah. me. And, you could hear um, him talking. And it was one of those situations where you're, you're like, like mm, if he boy. comes over here and we show him any kind of attention, he will. Something will happen. Just talk to us. So we like go to the next aisle. And then he's in that aisle. And we're like, fuck. So then he sees me and beelines it towards me. Uh-huh. And he's like, can I touch your beard? <laughs> and I was like. Very weird. What do I and I had a very long beard at that time no. that was like luscious. And I was and like. Kevin said. Uh, okay. Sure. <laughs> and so he started petting my beard. Yeah. Well, he's saying that his wife won't let him have a beard. Correct. Because she doesn't like how scratchy it is. Yep. Wait. And how old was this guy? He was. 82. I don't know. He, he was, was probably older. late 70s, oh. early 80s. Sure. Yeah. And then he starts getting a visible boner. <gasps> oh and God. he said, I have to stop. 
I'm enjoying I'm this too, too much. In, I think he's like getting. I'm too getting excited. too excited. Yeah. And no, I, was like, I feel like some old people just get to a point where they feel like anything they do is okay, and yeah, actually, it, like they should be yeah. like put in a corner and told to sit in time out. <laughs> like that's like maybe don't go out in public. Yeah, or don't like touch people's beard. This has happened actually several times, which is why I have it a little bit shorter now because yeah. it was down to like my nipples. Basically, it was mm-hmm. quite long and gorgeous, but people kept touching it in a really awkward turn your phone off brandon sorry (laughs) but people kept touching it really weird but yeah i don't totally think that your mom's right but brandon's mom always says that there's something people are just attracted to it i'm like well anyway just like same as the guy touching you in target men would come just to see mary Mary. because of the nature of the business being a cigar shop in the 1800s it's it was kind of a shadier kind of place to go to Mm. You're not meeting the greatest people. Knowing how shady the clients was, Phoebe, Mary's mom, was absolutely against it. Mm. So Phoebe had a right to be wary because Anderson's shop was was a popular one. It was commonplace for people from all different kinds of backgrounds. Now, it wasn't just dangerous people like criminals and everything like that. There was a lot of notable people that would go there, too. So it was popular for Edgar Allan Poe and Washington Irving, so some popular writers at the time. Mary ended up persuading her mother to allow her to go work there. And so she ended up working there anyways. Hmm. So Mary attracted many people and men would flirt with her all day. And it was published that there was, there would even be times where people would just stand in the store all afternoon just to exchange glances with her, which is super fucking creepy. I wonder if this is how celebrities feel. Probably. Right. But this is also like, has to be a little bit worse in the sense that there's no, there's no TV. There's no sure, photos. Sure. There's nothing besides actually going somewhere to creep somebody out like that. God, that's fucking weird. Yeah. And it was said that Mary held herself with a modest decorum. Um, and although she was friendly with, and she was very nice to all of the people that came in, but if somebody was advancing on her too much, she would not be afraid to tell them and like put them in her place. Love that. Because she was an independent woman. <laughs> independent woman we'll try that one more time thank you very much <laughs> leave that in like i literally said after our last one i'm like i hope i do better this time because you, so you couldn't say statistically right yeah or, uh, and then what was the other one that tragedy 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 oh, oh you almost, almost did it again, again. anyways right. so now at some point in time mary meets a man named daniel payne and i could not find any information on where they met except for that he may have possibly been somebody that was staying in the boarding house that her mother ran. Okay. But they ended up dating and getting engaged. Okay. So within this time frame, she met this man, Daniel, and got engaged. Hmm. On July 25th, Mary left the city telling Daniel that she would be visiting her aunt and a few other family members that day who lived on Bleecker Street. That evening, there was a really bad thunderstorm that hit. And so when Mary didn't show up the next day, her family wasn't really too concerned about where she was. Because it was storming and they're like, yeah, we probably wouldn't come home either. Where would they have went? Well, I think it's really interesting because at the same time, this was at the 1800s. There were, there like there was no mass transit. There was sure, no cars. Sure, I would cars. feel like, like I would be You would have concerned. to physically walk or get a horse or do that kind of stuff. So they okay. thought that she would just, because of the storm, stay she was hanging out at her family. St- oh, God. With her family. Got, oh, yeah, because she was like, okay. Yeah. It, okay. Which, again... It's all in technically the financial district now, so it's not really that far. So I thought that was interesting, but this was also before like cell phones or geolocation. So it's not like she could go like find my friends and see where uh, (laughs) Mary was. But this also wasn't the first time Mary had gone missing or didn't show up when she was supposed to. So just a couple of years earlier on July 15th, 1833, it was reported that Mary had disappeared from their home. So 
After going missing, Phoebe said that they had found a suicide note stating that she had a fixed and unalterable determination to destroy herself. Yeah, weird. That's very... Okay. Yeah. Again, 1800s. God, the way that they wrote it is so compelling. Yeah. I know. So, however, the next day, I saw some sources that said the next day, some said a week later, Mary reappeared mm. saying that she ended up going to Brooklyn or the country. <laughs> Again, maybe Brooklyn information. was like the country. But I literally have a note in here saying that Brooklyn was probably considered the country back then, that it probably really wasn't anything around. But she yeah. said she ended up going to Brooklyn to visit a friend, and the note was the hoax. Oh, so she didn't physically show up. The note did. No, she went missing. They couldn't find her, but yeah. they, her mom found a note that she had written. Oh. Claiming that, that she, she was going to Brooklyn or to, to die by suicide. Oh, fuck. So the hoax was that she wrote this note. She was really just at a friend's house in Brooklyn. Okay, okay. Well, this next time was a little bit different. The day after Mary's second disappearance... Everyone was expecting her to come home. When it got later in the evening the next day, Daniel and Phoebe got super concerned, and Daniel decided to head down to Bleecker Street to find her, which when I first was starting to do my research, I had typed it in here like, hey, they just reached out to find if Mary was there, and I was like, wait, I should probably actually clarify that they had to go physically walk down there because there was no phones. There was nothing that they could easily connect them with. Daniel was a little bit baffled when he got there because when he knocked on the door and saw Mary's aunt, her aunt let him know that they were not expecting Mary and she never showed up at the home that day. When Mary went missing, people noticed her coworkers in the cigar shop, her friends, her family, and even patrons of the shop. Like I said before, a lot of people hung up at the shop, including reporters. So various New York City newspapers like started to have stories start going out yeah. about the missing cigar girl. But Mary is the one who told her husband that she or was going was her going to meet fiance. her family at Bleecker Street. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So Mary told her mom mm-hmm. and Daniel. Well, she told Daniel, her fiance. <laughs> that she was going to her aunt's and family's house on Bleecker Street. Yeah. There was the storm. Mm-hmm. She never came home the next day. I got it. Okay. I'm okay. just trying to spell it out for you. Oh. To help. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyways. Then three days after she went missing, Mary's body was found in the Hudson. Mm-hmm. So Daniel was the last person to ever see her alive. Mm-hmm. Once the body was discovered, the media coverage grew even more. They coined her as the beautiful cigar girl and Mary's story became local and national news and they plastered her face all over the front pages of the newspaper. One story of the New York Herald even had a testimony of her condition from the coroner, which I thought was really interesting. And his name was Richard Cook. And I'm going to try my best to read this one because it's just interesting because it's also the coroner. I believe it's him speaking as he's looking at her too. So the face was, what is this, Kevin? Suffused? 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 Suffused, yeah. Uh, I'm really not that awful. I actually don't know that word, but... Her face was suffused with dark blood, bruised blood. There was a frothy blood still issuing from her mouth. It says issuing, but I wanted to say oozing. Her face was swollen. There was an ecmos mark about the size of the shape of a man's thumb on her right side of her neck near the jugular vein. And two or three ecmos marks on the left side resembling the shape of a man's finger which led me to believe that she had been throttled and partially choked by a man's hand. What does it mean to be throttled? I don't know, because I feel like we know many people who would love to be throttled. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you said throttled, like thrown across the room. I, know, I, I, so. I was thinking like shake. I, would, I, I assumed like throttled as in like took him, her and like pushed, like 
threw her up against something. But who her. do we know that wants to be I'm throttled? Oh. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. I'm like, ooh, what? Tell me the Jews. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting, though, that they found her and she still had shit coming out of her mouth, even though she was in the Hudson. Right. But I'm sure it was just, it says it was frothy blood. So I'm assuming it was like a mixture of like Ew. blood and Hudson, Hudson water or trash. Yeah. I don't know. Then I have the dress was much torn. The outer dress was torn. A long slip say a foot wide, was torn up from the bottom of the frock to the waist. The dress immediately beneath the frock in between the upper petticoat had a piece torn clean off its garment about a foot or 18 inches in width. This piece was torn very evenly and with great care, commencing at the bottom of the garment. The same piece was afterwards tied around her mouth with a hard knot at the back part of the neck, I think to smother her cries. Oh my God, yeah, Mary. I know, right? The piece of fine lace trimming I spoke of, I observed a crease around the neck. Passing my hand behind her ear, I accidentally felt a small knot and found that piece of lace, which I supposed to have the trimming of her lace collar, was tied so tightly around her neck as to have been hidden from sight in the flesh of the neck. This was tied in a hard knot under the left ear. This would have strangled her. Oh my God. Right. And that's like just the report from the coroner, which I thought was interesting since there's not much that there's some news articles and things that I could find, but I just thought that was super interesting that that was noted from the coroner. I'm kind of still stuck on the thumbprint on her neck. Yeah. Like that's a lot of force. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it was probably just like wrapped around her neck. God, that's so rude. Right. Yes. Killing is rude. (laughs) Um, I agree. I feel like we can come up with a stronger word than rude. <laughs> <laughs> I do like rude. Okay. 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 okay so right, at, right after the murder, Daniel was interrogated. Obviously he has a fiance. He's yep. going to yep. have to be, but after their questioning, they just dismissed him as a suspect. And then after the questioning, the police didn't have much to go off of. There was actually a bit where I saw that there was like over a week where the police didn't really have anything to say to people. And people were like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. But there were some conspiracies and leads that were either not looked into or dropped. So I have seven of them here because there was quite a bit. First, the first theory was that Mary had a failed abortion attempt. There's theories that Mary's body was dumped by the local abortionist, Madame Ristel. And I don't, I'm sure I'm not saying that right. It's super French. Madame. But after the failed procedure. Mm. So allegedly that they had a bad abortion through her in the Hudson. What? Why would that really weird? Why would the abortionist kill her in that way? Right. Well, and it was, I think it was like a, an accident. Like they were trying to give her an abortion and they accidentally strangled her. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. How they would have those marks. Well, that's why the police ended up taking that and being like, well, it doesn't match the, maybe that's not accurate. Yeah. 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 I'm just having oh, a bad image. I'm so image sorry of... that we ruined your abortion. We're going to kill you now. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to strangle you. What the fuck is that? I'm going to throttle you against <laughs> oh, Mary. You know, I'm sorry to laugh. Anyways, the next one. People believed that something must have happened when she disappeared the first time. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't a hoax that she left and came back. That it was a hoax that she came back. Meaning that they believe she actually wanted to die by suicide but that she either got scared or didn't happen so that she came back. And then they believe that this could have been potentially her going back and actually dying by suicide, mm. which again, doesn't make sense, which is why it didn't, it um, doesn't, yeah, it it didn't pass through the police. Cause really like, this doesn't make sense to try to die by suicide and choke yourself. Well, 
I don't think and you can you rip up your. Sh- I don't know. There's know. just a lot but of details was, that these were conspiracy matching. theories made by people. Yeah. That weren't the police. So it was people who were coming up with ideas of what could have happened. People still believed it was Daniel after his questioning. What adds to some odd speculation Mm -hmm. of this was that sometime after the death of Mary, Daniel's body was found on a bench near where Mary's body had been discovered, laying on a branch in, in the Sybil's cave area. And there was a note stating to the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent life. Oh, Daniel. Yeah. So that night, Daniel took an overwhelming amount of poison oh. and died. He lost with the love a, of his life. Yeah, with a very... He which killed a, the love of his life. Right? So it's a very <laughs> vague suicide note, right? So sure. people either thought that it was admission to guilt, that he, he actually killed her, and mm-hmm. that he's going to her spot because he's having a hard time and then did that. But then other people thought that it was just from the grief. And could you not I'm hit sorry, things, please? Yeah. Thank you. Or they thought that it was him grieving his fiance's death. Yeah. Number four, a gentleman named James Finnegan was arrested for the alleged murder. Merger. <laughs> the merger of the alleged murder. It was said that the police arrested the two gang members who confessed to being part of the crime and implicated James. And when they found James, James would... Randomly wearing one of Mary's rings, which didn't help the matter. But then after further investigation, the case against James was dropped and he was not convicted of anything. So then there was also talks of it being possible gang violence some days after they found the body. The rest of Mary's clothing and belongings were discovered in the woods near where the body was found in the water. So this was a bit surprising to some people because there was an investigation in the area and so there was people everywhere. And this was also at a time where there was no TV. There was nothing. So people actually yeah. like went to go see where the crimes were instead of going to jump on a podcast to listen to, to two know. homos talk. They won. actually <laughs> went to the place to see. And you would have. I would have went. You would have went. Yeah. People were thinking that the clothing was placed there after the murder and that it was an actual murder because yeah. of that. Yeah. And then there was another story that an anonymous man wrote a letter to the coroner because at one point the police opened it up to, which I don't know if I have this in the rest of the story. I think I took this out. But the police opened up the uh, the search and they put out in the newspapers, they were asking for anybody who had any information and they yeah. offered an award for whoever gave information on the case. However, they also opened it up to people who could be implicated in the crime and said that they would give them immunity if they just told them who the murderer was. So if you weren't the murderer, and you, but you were part of it, say sure, you were part sure. of them a group of people yeah, 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 and you told them who actually did it. You would have interesting. Yeah. Tactic. A couple days after that, somebody wrote an anonymous letter to the coroner, which I thought was interesting that they sent it to the coroner, not the police, but they said that he was in the area in that evening and he saw a boat pulled to shore uh, from the New York side containing six rough looking men and a well-dressed girl who he recognized as Mary. They came to shore and walked to the nearby woods. Eventually a second boat arrived with three other men, but, they had it they they said that they were well dressed men these these three guys were well dressed and eventually somebody comes out of the woods and it's alleged that he heard them asking if she came on her own accord or if they used any violence to get her there but 
there was no more to that. So that was where that ended. Oh. And then for the last one, there was a lot of accounts of people seeing Mary with some tall, well-dressed man on many occasions. Like yeah. she was having an affair. Those tall, well-dressed men. Right. Gotta watch out for him. And they said he had a dark complexion too. So one of those instances being the night of the murder, a keeper at an inn nearby said they were at the establishment and that they left and they headed for the woods. And then soon after they heard a woman scream. But... Because the inn was a place of questionable characters, mm. they didn't really question it because it was a common occurrence. So there just lots of screams just coming a from a lot it. of yeah. women screaming. Yeah. Well, so well. they weren't sure. After the autopsy, um, Mary, uh, I was hoping that again? you weren't going <laughs> to like, like nobody else listening would have heard me say that. <laughs> yes, they would have. Anyways, after the autopsy, Mary was buried in Hoboken, but not for too long because her body was exhumed a short time later uh-huh. and re-examined for further examination. Okay. So, which that also had the press going wild. And I found an article from the New York Evening Post stating, the body of this unfortunate girl was yesterday brought from Jersey to the city and deposited in the death house in the park, which I'm assuming that's like a... A corner or like a... Yeah, something like a corner, but... The death house in the park? The death house in the park. That's literally, this is copied and pasted. And difficult it would be before the most imaginative mind to conceive a spectacle more horrible or humiliating to humanity. There lay what was but a few days back the image of its creator, the loveliest of his works, now blackened and decomposed mass of putrefaction painfully disguised sight and smell her skin which had unusually fair was now black as that of a negro her eyes so sunk in swollen face as to not have the appearance of being violent violently forced beyond the sockets with her youth which no friendly hand had close in death was distended as wide as the ligaments of the jaw would admit and wore the appearance of a person who had died from suffocation or strangulation the remainder of the person was alike the mass of putrefaction and corruption on which the worms were reveling at their will. So yeah, that was from the New York Evening Post, which it's I really thought was up. It's a really, really interesting way to describe how her right? body looked after ex- exhumation. Is right, but even word? like the way they worded that and yeah. then they put it in the newspaper. Yeah. Which is... It's just really interesting because, yeah. I mean, today it's, it's like it's the same shit that they put on a mm-hmm. dateline, right? But... I feel like putting that in the, the newspaper is so... It's just like a modern way to say yeah, the same shit. Yeah, right. Except that was like old school English. To this day, Mary's murder has never been solved. And oh the killer God. still remains out there. <gasps> He's dead. No, I he know. doesn't. It's <laughs> David. His name is David. <laughs> Daniel. Right? Daniel. 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 Yeah. Daniel Payne. So, this is Daniel. What? Yeah. This is our first unsolved murder. <gasps> Oh my god, did you guys ever watch Unsolved Mysteries? Oh my god, I loved it. The music? I loved That man's voice was so creepy. So creepy. Um, I grew up with that and it scared the fuck out of me. Yeah. Well, I have one really interesting fact is that Mary's story intrigued everybody at the time. Um, And being that one of the cigar shop patrons was Edgar Allan Poe, he Mm. was so fascinated by the case that he he claimed that his story, The Mystery of Mary, I don't even know how to say this part, Roger, was based on her life. Although he changed the story from New York to Paris, and the story was of a woman whose body was found in the river scene with several possible suspects. That's so interesting. Yeah. Oh, Mary. I know. I wonder if it was Daniel Payne, because I could see how he would be upset that she 
you know, died and then went to the same spot that she was last in apparently. And then, you know, took his own life. But I could also see him maybe being regretful Yeah, that maybe he, you know, they got into a little thing and right. We'll yeah. never know. Goodness. And nobody has known since the 1800s. 1800s and they're never going to know because that's a while ago. It was at this point. Yeah. Just a little bit. Mary, a couple years. Mary. I kind of want to go to the spot now in Hoboken. In Hoboken. Yeah. The photos of it is super creepy because it's like this like entrance, this gothic styled entrance. Yeah. But like I couldn't find any photos, like recent photos of what looks what it looks like inside. Did you put a cover uh, or photo of it on the cover art? Yeah, there's okay. a there will, there's an illustration of it on the that's cover. That's what art. I thought. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Well So that's my nice job, bud. Yeah. All right. Um, well, what do you got? What's your story this okay. week? Okay. So I know that we're gonna do, you know, our podcast is called Homocide, but we're not really just talking about gay people who murder, but we're giving you a little gay spin on murder in general. <laughs> but this week, mine is both LGBTQ and a murder. In New York. All so that both. lead up just to <laughs> <laughs> all that you. lead up just to say that you yeah. have a homo So basically murder. a lot of people know this because some movies have been made from it. There's like mm-hmm. documentaries and more. But I've always been fascinated by it because of a gay kid, you know, coming out in the early two thousands. This is about the Club Kid Killer. Mm. It's a good one. It's, it's a so good, good story. Do any of you know the Club Kid Killer? at all ah this is magic okay so movie was so good too so good yeah this is the murder of somebody named andre angel melendez Mm -hmm. who was the victim the cool thing about this specifically and i'll get into kind of the history about like the club kid movement and all this kind of stuff but there's been a documentary uh, made called Party Monster, which was eventually turned into a film mm-hmm. that starred Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green. Mm-hmm. It is a fanta- fantastic. They do really great in it too. Oh my god, they're incredible. Which it's I like didn't a cult know, kind of classic. But I thought that the two characters that were in it, who Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green play, were two different characters than what they actually play. Like one of them I knew, but the other one, which was Seth Green's character, I thought was somebody else. But it ended up being. James St. James yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's been a couple of other things. There's like a, a James St. James did a memoir called Disco Bloodbath. And then there's another more recent documentary called Glory Days, D-A-Z-E, The Life and Times of Michael Alig, which gets me to... But James St. James is the James St. James of World of Wonder, which is... Correct. The production company of RuPaul's Drag Race? RuPaul's Drag Race, among many other uh, types of things. This is actually kind of cool. And if you're in New York City now or were in the 80s and 90s, you will know who they were or you'll know exactly these kind of landmarks and this movement. The Club Kids, which was actually a term that was coined by New York Magazine. I thought that they created the... Oh, they didn't? No, according to that, you know, according to several things. But yeah, New York Magazine is actually who coined them the term Club Kids in 1988. So the Club Kids consisted of a bunch of New York underground partiers who were known for drug use, wild parties, artistic queer and gender fluid freedom, an expression, flamboyant behavior and very avant-garde and outrageous looks. They were a group of very brave and resilient people who put themselves out into the world unafraid of others' judgment. So if you think about like the 80s and 90s, particularly at the time, like art was really coming splash. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're coming off of some drug movements, but queerness was really well, it was like, like at the uprising kind of at yeah. that point where it wasn't as well, it wasn't legal at that time. Sure. Well, yeah, right, eh, ish, but it was a time of discovery. I think is probably 
the the way that I would put that. But this same group was they were they were known for living these extravagant lifestyles, but they would go and put themselves onto talk shows and face Sally really Joseph like, Raphael. yes. Oh my God, the <laughs> Sally show. Yeah. But like face some really, really rough questioning in general, but they purposely would do that to like spread this movement of yep. like uh, forcing acceptance. And so they would travel the country and hold outrageous parties, always pushing the boundaries of gender, politics, society, and culture, my kind of people. They actually, this group, the the club kids had a huge impact on the queer culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any young queer people research this because it's incredible. And actually this particular murder is why the movement ended, which I didn't, I didn't that. totally know. And um, I think there's like some form of club kids still around. Sure. I mean, sure. we even just walked by a bunch of people on the street yesterday where I was like, they're, they're definitely club kids. You did. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they were just like done up and painted. Oh, they and, looked amazing. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had that confidence walking down the street. I a hundred percent in my normal clothes, <laughs> like now or then this group actually were so impactful because they created a space for rejected and disowned youth that were gay, queer, transgender, non-binary, really anything, anything that was a different mm-hmm. uh, or made them, they, they would make them feel different. But really, they were kicked up by their parents and all this kind of stuff. But it was, they, they created a space for these types of people, our people, to uh, experience the feeling of freedom. Mm-hmm. So freedom from expression, freedom from gender, uh, just all I of love it. That. And um, it wasn't all based off of drugs, right? No, and in fact, it actually wasn't primarily based off of drugs initially. But when you think about when it started... Drugs really came to the forefront, mostly these types of drugs in the 80s. Yeah, the party drugs. Yeah, that party drug era. So the interesting thing about the club kid movement, too, is that it was actually built out of a need for relief due to the 80s and conservative politics that were kind of about in the 80s, but also to really not move away from, but deal with the AIDS crisis that was crippling the LGBTQ community at the time. I was going to say that's right. That's prime. Totally prime. Yeah. Yeah. Technically the New York club kids were first established in this context in the late eighties by a guy named Michael Alig and James St. James. But other notable names that were included in this movement were RuPaul Charles, Mm -hmm. right? RuPaul, Julie Jules, DJ Kiyoki and Ernie Glam. Some of those names I'm not familiar with, but now I am, but I wasn't. But obviously RuPaul being probably the biggest that most people these days would be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The movement actually grew into the 90s with Amanda Lepore and Wallpaper and Sophia Lamar. Wallpaper? Uh, Wallpaper. Not like wallpaper, like you're putting wallpaper up. Um, <laughs> like that was somebody's Apparently somebody wallpaper. named wallpaper. How do you get the name nickname wallpaper? You know, I think we should ask whoever wallpaper That's very is. very interesting. <laughs> this one person, Michael Alig, is really kind of a notable character in the rise of the club kid movement. Realistically, when Andy Warhol died in 1987, the New York club scene that was happening during then, sorry, like Studio 54, all that t- like time period, which was like 70s into, that kind of died. Yeah. And so... Out of a need to kind of revitalize that, this guy, Michael Alig, teamed up with his friend, James St. James. Yeah, see, I don't think I knew that about Andy Warhol. Me neither. I knew he was big and had all these extravagant parties and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that that was like the Club Kid era for them. So it was like the pre-Club Kid era. It was the like original that brought in sort of that freedom of expression and and all that kind of stuff that actually pushed Michael Alig to team up with James St. James and then grow it so they basically started hosting these really kind of small parties and gatherings yeah. where people were able to have avant-garde kind of costumes and paint their face and like just do these really fun extravagant things yeah. to feel artistic in like their body michael Oleg started working with a known club owner of several clubs called peter gayton gayton gaytine or something 
and he was known as the king of New York clubs. Yeah. And so they teamed up and then they started throwing a whole bunch of parties at this Gaten, at Gaten owned New York city clubs. So you want to know what one of the most popular ones ended up being was the limelight yeah. on six, which is that old church. Yes. Which is now like a mall or I think what, that is there's a, shop? Like a pizza. There was a Grimaldi's in it. I think Grimaldi's is still in it. Is in the it? portion of it, yeah. But it was yeah. that like uh, shopping. Oh, it was beautiful. It was like a clothing store. Yeah. It was a club. But like how fun that, going to an old church to party. Which actually downtown Denver used to have a club called The Church. And it was fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, it still has it? Yeah. Oh my God, I thought it closed. Here. Shut the fuck up. Oh my God, it's really cool. It Limelight is a very different style of well, church. Well, it's a gothic church. Yes, but right? the one in, in downtown Denver, they made the inside kind of cool like it was a, it's a fucking cool place anyway but limelight i kind of envision because i didn't get to go to it in that yeah you know um, and what it looks like then but the limelight was on 6th and west 20th and it was basically a deconstructed church right so that was owned by this this guy named peter gayton really cool thing so basically kind of envision it right so it's a whole bunch of like basically misfits that get together and like celebrate music and love and yeah, and have these like outrageous community costumes of artists and, God, yeah, and amazing. it's all like queer people and just uh, the acceptance of, you know, non-gender conforming people. It was just fucking incredible. The interesting thing about what they would throw, and this is what I was telling you that I was going to tell you about uh, you that it. I didn't know, yeah. is something called an outlaw party. Do you know what that is? I mean, my mind goes to like a party of just criminals. <laughs> okay, I love that your mind went there, but no. <laughs> so basically, uh, <laughs> they would throw these things called outlaw parties, which basically what they would do. Now, envision yourself in New York City, right? New York, there's... <laughs> I mean, I, I am. Well, we are in New York City. <laughs> For all of you not in New York City, if you've been here, the grid is laid out specifically, but there's a lot of fast food chain yep. restaurants. There's trains, train stations everywhere, right? On particular lines and whatever. So in Chelsea, which is where this was, they would... <laughs> Basically find the clubs that they would be usually throwing parties at, right? Yeah. They would choose a fast food joint or a train station somewhere near the club. And they would throw an outlaw party, which basically means they would flood the fucking area, <laughs> loud music, outrageous and costumes, just parties, which was illegal. Yeah. They were outlawed, right? So they called them outlaw parties. Oh my God, how fun. And what they would do, they would stage them by a club... Because then once the cops would come, they could all fucking flee and, say that they and keep the partying oh my God, that's at amazing. the club. I was like, <gasps> imagine working at like behind the counter at McDonald's being like, what the fuck I know, is that happening? was my first thought as somebody who has worked in food <laughs> in the food industry being like, okay. You're like there and you're it's like, all, it's like, But like on the flip side, it's also like, wait, I'm going to have to clean this all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is so fun and all, I but. Love this. Oh, but when you guys leave on my shift, <laughs> I'm going to have to clean up all that glitter. Could you go to Taco Bell instead? Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I loved it though, because I'm like, how fucking cool. Like I all imagine myself. Out and you're like. Yeah, but I imagine myself in that time and like the idea of like this outlaw thing, but it's just so built in community and community. Yep. Yeah. in love and like just celebration of life. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. So they would all go and do these things. And, and so they were kind of known for like this, whatever, but it was like an underground thing. So only the club kids knew when it was going to happen, when it was happening. That's so um, but the, the cops kind of would catch on ish and they would go like break that and they would catch nobody really because they would all be <laughs> yeah. fucking gone. So that's so cool. really cool. So the interesting thing about the club kids is that they achieved high status and basically ruled the New York club scene. So if yeah. you think about like the studio 54 era and all that kind of stuff, take, that and the the club kids owned that all led by this michael Alig. yeah so this was like at the same time that up in harlem there was the uh vogue 
Oh yeah. Um, so interestingly enough, so like ballroom. Yeah, um, the ballroom scene. Like the that ballroom was at the scene. same time, right? No. Or is it, that like right? That was like towards pre. the end. It was pre. Yeah. So really? the ballroom scene. It was kind of at the same time, but the ballroom scene was actually a little bit earlier. Because yeah. this like started nineteen eighty seven and up. Ballroom was still actually oh, earlier than that. Yeah. Which yeah. ballroom's still around. Totally. Yeah. But, but not the, like it, it was like uh, depicted in pose. Sure. Let's say. Yeah. 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 All that to say, Michael Alig, who was this horrible dude. Now, I'm sure we'll get some shit for saying that because there's definitely still club kids that are like alive today and like really, he did a lot for the community in general, but he was a fucking dick. He was known as a shock artist. Do you know what a shock artist is? It's like Banksy's doing very of, graphic things or yeah, to, well, to shock of. and alarm Yeah, people. there's a lot of like shock value. Banksy yep. is is one, right? No, yep. ish as one. So March of 1996. So remember, he kind of started this movement in 87 and then here we're in 90, 1996. So he's become a very popular dude. Yeah. But he was known for his horrible, nightmarish behavior. Yeah. Like awful. So here's a couple of things that he would fucking do. He would go up into a club and like the rafters of a club and he would take a hundred dollar bills and he would just throw them out and he would sit up there and watch as everybody would fight over these hundred dollar bills that were landing on the dance floor because these were all, you know, not people who had money and like he basically loved just seeing everyone, you know, brawl fighting each other over these hundred dollar bills. Right. At first I was like, Oh my God, that's so nice. He's giving money out. <laughs> Hell no. That's not, <laughs> no, what, not, that not was the purpose. Not, that's not so it. So the other thing he would do, and this is disgusting, and he would, in the same rafters, pee on people below him because he thought it was funny. He would yeah, I'm also not into that. Pee that's in, vile. Thank you. I'm not into water sports. Ew. No, but he would you. also just pee in Not to say drinks. that it's a bad thing. If you're into it, no, like, do, that's your, your thing. Do it. It's just not life. for me. Sure. You have to opt in, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do Consent. Consent. Like, ask me if you, if yeah. you could pee on me before yeah. you just yeah. do it. Right? Do what you need to do, but there needs to be consent, and there are yeah. other things off limits. He would also pee in people's drinks, just for fun. Like, so, did, and they had no idea, so yes. they're just drinking his piss. So, he, so think about the type of person he is. He likes He's a jokester. No. But like a douchebag. Like he is awful. Like he liked the idea He's of sinister. knowing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, ugh. So it anyway, sounds pretty calculated to the me. The other thing he would do, and this <laughs> tells you everything you know about him, has any, okay, there was this certain thing. Oh, I didn't include the word because I'm like, who's going to know this word? But there's a term for. I guess when, none of us will know the word. No, no you won't because I didn't <laughs> put it in here. Shit. I can't, fuck, I can't remember. But anyway, he would basically purposely do a big and fake fall to purposely knock people over to let them get hurt. And there's a term for this. But that's Asshole. who he was. So it's like he was doing a trust fall, but nobody knew that he was doing a trust fall. No, not or he even was that. Just like, he would just be like, oh, goodness, and then knock people over. Just to hurt And them. they would hurt. Yeah, they would fall. And he would just be like, hmm, and walk away. Yeah. Sounds Ugh. like a murderer. Fucker. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so apparently he was diagnosed with, which I've never heard this, hysteronic personality disorder which is basically uh, it's characterized by like high levels of attention seeking behavior. So those things that make sense. Yeah. Right. That he's like wanting this shit or whatever. It's fucking weird by March. So think about the club scene was like so fun and free and, and whatever. His Except behavior, for this one guy. Well, it wasn't as bad initially. And then it started to just really not yeah. get great. Then drugs came to play by 1996, March of 1996, the club scene had turned kind of dark and it was, people were far too into drugs. They were like fucked out, uh, fucked out. It's kind of a bummer though. Yeah. I know. And they just looked like they were out of their minds at these parties. Like people were just fucked. So like kind of, this is awful to say, but you know, around New York city and it's not only New York city, but across the world, you have people who 
I, they have a specific drug and I don't know what it is, but you see the people who are just bent over and like swaying it's, on the street. It's like a zombie drug. It's I don't like know zombie, what it's, it's called, but they're calling weird. it the zombie drug. Okay. So it kind of made me picture that, right? Yeah. So people just looked just fucked up and I hate singing. It's awful, but kind of reminds me of that. So what was interesting is that Michael Alig, again, the guy with St. James St. James that had created this kind of movement turned into a junkie and he was binging every night and get this on a mixture of heroin, special K, I don't even know what this is. R O H Y P N O L, Rafinol, Rafinpanol, I don't know, and cocaine. Like that mixture. So that sounds fun. <laughs> so, like, who's no. fucked up? Yeah, mama was not. I think just one of those is fine. Yeah. Like, do some coke, go to the, yeah. Do if you need you more do. than that, then maybe. Yeah. Like, girl. Maybe you need so, some help. So, what was interesting was that he was living in a luxury two bedroom rental on the, on the riverbank on West 43rd Street, but his apartment had become like a cracked in. So although he lived in like this like luxurious place, it was just like a drug den. Like people cracked out all the time and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of according to a lot of accounts of people that knew him then. Sunday, March 17th, 1996, the murder. Here, I'll kind of go back. So earlier in the, in the morning, 2 a.m., Alig had instructed Melendez. So remember who I talked about at the beginning, this angel. Yeah. Angel is his name, but Andre Melendez. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't he go by angel? He did. And he did because, like, one of the things he was known for wearing was, like, this hat and these, like, angel, angel wings. wings. Yeah. yeah. And he was... I mean, uh, if yeah. you look at look him up, that's all you'll see is yeah. him with angel wings on. Angel, which I always think it's, like... Because there's so much information about Michael Alig because he's the murderer, but there's, like, not a ton of information on Angel. Yeah. Which I think is shitty. And, and I tell you, I have so many sources listed here, and I could not find much information on Angel, yeah. which is really, really frustrated. But Well, that's what, all that ever it is. Whenever there's a murder, it's mostly about the person yeah. who did it, not, not the actual not person who, who actually killed. died, yeah, which the victim. it's kind of fucked up. I know. And the fact that we can't just, like, I don't want to say celebrate their life, but in a sense, well, celebrate murder has their come. Life. I mean, we're doing a murder podcast. It's kind of become like this. I know. But it's really interesting. We could be better murder podcaster. <laughs> so Angel, Angel Andre Melendez. So he was born on May 1st, 1971. His family was from Colombia and they moved to New York City when he was eight. And so uh, he was kind of described as like a really quiet boy and very shy. And he dreamed of becoming an actor and a filmmaker, which I can absolutely relate to. And I'm sure going to the, being a part of the club kid system yeah. helped get him out of all of that. Yeah. So here's what's fucked up though. So he was a 25 year old club kid who lived in Queens, right? But he was a part of the Webster Hall crowd. Which I didn't, I know Webster Hall, but I didn't know that there was like a Webster Hall crowd. Well, here's the thing about the Webster Hall crowd. They were kind of rejected by the club kids. Oh, I didn't, so know, I didn't know there was he a was never, between them. Yeah, either. I didn't either. So he was never really fully accepted by Illig and his friends. So he oh, wasn't treated that great. But he actually worked at the Limelight and other clubs, including Webster Hall, and he was a drug dealer. So he would sell the drugs on the premises yeah. of the clubs. So here's what's fucked up about how that whole thing went down. There's a whole FBI thing because of the owner, Peter. All of his clubs, they had knowingly started selling drugs. So it was becoming like this whole corrupt thing, right? So he was a part of that. So he would go to these clubs and get paid for the night to sell drugs. So jumping back to March 17, 1996. 2 o'clock a.m., Melinda's angel went to the limelight to get into the club to start to get paid like he would all the time yeah. to sell drugs. Well, Alig, who was kind of like this ring leader at this point for these clubs, told the bouncers to not let him in. And it happened like two other nights, I guess, previous to this too. So yeah. they owed him some money because oh, that's, yeah, that's how he got shitty. paid. So the reason that, and this comes from Michael Alig, that he says that he didn't let them in or he instructed the bouncers not to let him in was because the FBI was looking into it and they had said that they would come that night to arrest a whole bunch of people. And so he was like, no drugs tonight or whatever. Yeah, okay. 
right? That's what he says. That happened a few nights in a row, like I said. So that particular day, March So 17th, the FBI was going to come multiple days in a row? Apparently. Okay. Yeah. He There's a couple of things that a, a lot of this account is from him, which is kind of annoying to me, but it's, you know, it is what it yep. is because he, you know, you'll see. By 10 a.m. that next morning on March 17th, Melinda's went to a Lig's front door and was like, give me the money. Angel would sometimes stay with a Lig in general. So they were like on and off again roommates, which I think is really interesting. So they were roommates, which means they had some familiarity, yeah. but they also didn't want him to come it's and be a bizarre. part of the It like doesn't kids. make any sense. There's not only one killer in this story. There's actually two. So Michael Alig and Robert, who was known as Freeze, Riggs, okay? At the apartment that morning, Michael and Robert were at this apartment. When Angel starts being like, give me you know, the money and all that kind of stuff, what happened first, and this again is mostly from Michael Alig's account, Angel came in and Freeze immediately started making fun of his hat and wings. And so, which is something I guess they would do, which is fucked up. Alig actually describes this next part as like a silly, pushy cat fight, which I think is incredibly offensive once you hear what happened. Cat fight. Yeah. Uh, but basically, Alig says that Riggs told Melendez, we only let you hang out with us because you have drugs, which I think is in the movie. I'm pretty sure that was the yeah. movie. So according to a leg, there was a scuffle which sent him, Michael, flying into a glass cabinet. And I put, okay. okay. Well, <laughs> but also, like, if you're, if he was a drug dealer and you're saying you're not going to pay him. Yeah. Like, that's rude. You should get your ass kicked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you should um, be throttled. You should be throttled. <laughs> oh, my God, Brandon. So anyway, there was this scuffle, right? And and Alig is saying that basically Melinda's or Angel sent him into this glass cabinet and that a piece of glass pierced his back and he started bleeding profusely, which led to Let me guess it was just like a little scratch. Or it didn't happen. But basically he says uh, that Melinda started biting him. <laughs> okay. Because of that scenario, Freeze, the other guy that was in the apartment, grabbed a hammer that just happened to be lying around. But also I said there was like a different account that it was like in a closet okay, and started hitting Angel in the head with what they say. Freeze kind of tells a different version of this a little bit than, than Michael Alig did, but basically hit him in the head with like the, not the metal part of the hammer, but like the handle okay, like four times. He hits him with that, uh, which incapacitates him, right? Didn't kill him, but it like knocked him down and whatever. It's alleged at this point that... There's there's a lot here. But basically what Alig ended up doing was, I guess, getting a sweatshirt and wrapping it around his fist and just beating Angel's face in. And then eventually just suffocates him. But in the same process, the decides to fuck around and injected him with Drano into his veins. Oh, I remember that. And then he takes Drano and shoves it into his throat and duct tapes his mouth shut. And then they're like... And, and they're, I'm sorry, what did you... Call- Say he called this like a cat fight. Uh huh. This is a cat fight. A silly cat. Fight. I've never had Drano near my cat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was stupid. That was really funny. That was your dad. I was, um, you're welcome. That's that my dad cute. joke. Of the All right, day. Wayne. That's really funny. So fucked up, right? So this, just imagine this scene. It's just like disgusting. So then they're like, "Well, we thought he was just sleeping. You just no, put Drano you, and well, okay. You know, so that's, they, that's poison." So they say that they laid him on the couch after thinking that he was just unconscious, but then realized he was dead a few hours later. They claim, just originally in general, that this was self-defense. So you wouldn't be like, oh, he's not moving. Let's just let him lay here for a few hours and we'll see. Were they fucked up at the time? Yes. 
So they were on drugs, for sure. Like, always on drugs. Well, all of the 12 that you listed? Yes. However, there are accounts by several people in the Club Kid, like, you know, collective, that actually say that Alig was talking about killing Angel before that. Oh, so it, like, makes it look premeditated-ish? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but still saying, no, you know. But, like, why? Why this guy? Just because... He didn't want to pay him for the drug. There's actually an account that there was something about Angel that challenged Alig's status. Mm. And now he like owed him money. Well, it's popularity too. If he's the guy with the drugs, he looks mm-hmm. more we uh, also think about this than... attention seeking thing, yep. right? So like he and they do this in the movie where Angel's like portrayed as like this like amazing yep. kind of character. And I'm sure, you know, he was, but it takes away from like this popularity and whatever. Yep. So that's kind of like a theory. But here's what's interesting, and this is this is not done. After the murder, they decided to after they realized he was dead, they started to they decided to cover up the murder because they just didn't want the party to end. And I literally said, whatever the fuck that means. Right. No, so, they just didn't want to get caught for what they did. Yeah. So what they so did your party of life. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that to end. So they took Angel, his body, and they put him into their bathtub, doused him in Drano. I don't know what their obsession was with Drano and baking soda. And, and I quote, a few liberal spritzes of Calvin Klein eternity cologne, which we all know what the fuck that smells like. That's right. Like the gayest thing too. Yeah. They covered him with ice and left him in the bathtub for eight to nine days. And it is disgusting. They threw parties at the apartment with his body in the bathroom. Did nobody have to use the bathroom? That was my question too. Did, was there more than one bathroom? I don't know. I mean, it's a luxury apartment. Eventually, I'm not. sure that like there's a smell that comes. But sure. I guess if there's a lot of Drano, that chemical smell might. Ugh, so disgusting. Anyway, so once they kind of got out of like their little bit of drug stupor that they were in at the time, they decided, oh my gosh, we should probably get rid of his body, right? Because it was starting to smell in the apartment. Freeze went to Macy's, you know, just mm-hmm. you know, a little shop. I know shop, what you're going to say, and I hate um, this. And went to Macy's and bought some kitchen knives and came back to dismember his body. This is how Oleg talks about it. We did it. This is a quote from him uh, to the New York Post. He said, we did it quickly, cutting up the joints. There was really no blood because it had all dried. Because it was eight days. So what they did was they put his legs in a duffel bag and put his head and torso into a TV box and hopped into a cab. Oh my gosh. Went down to the river at the Intrepid, which is where they threw the the duffel bag. And then they went to 26th Street at the Hudson and threw in the TV box into the river. So the interesting thing is that after this, Alig walked around for months bragging about killing him, but because everyone was so used to him being so outrageous, they didn't believe him. Yeah, they were like, Ugh, "Whatever, he's just saying that for attention." That's so fucked up. Which is really interesting. You got to imagine him, somebody telling you that, and you being like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah." Melinda's his brother, and here's what's fucked up about New York City at that time, especially for the LGBTQ community. The police didn't, the police care. didn't give a fuck. No, right. So basically, he went missing. Nobody could find him, and the police were like, "Okay." His brother, Melinda's his brother, so Angel's brother Johnny started pasting up posters all over Manhattan trying to look for for him him and trying to like force the police to be like, please help me find my fucking brother. Right. But of course they just didn't give a fuck. So this is just a side note that apparently a leg, there's some talks about like motives in general, but he basically stole, I guess, $2,000 from Melinda's. And then after he killed Angel Melinda's, he stole another 18,000 from his personal drug money stash to refurbish his apartment, refurbish so he's just like an overall great dude i know yeah. peeing in people's drinks and then ugh, april 12th 1996 
Melinda's legless torso washes ashore in Staten Island, a group of kids finds it. Now, could you imagine like playing and being like, yay, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is awful. Awful. That is so, so awful. Uh-huh. So it's April 12th. Now, does everybody know who Michael Musto is? He's like a reporter for the Village Voice. No. The big, name kind of sounds familiar. Yeah, he's like, RuPaul no. was really, they were, yeah. Anyway, he's still actually a reporter for The Voice, yeah. uh, for The Village Voice. So anyway, he actually um, did a piece reporting the rumors about Alig's involvement in Melinda's death in a Village Voice column. He didn't use any names, but it was everyone knew it was him. So he did that piece, right? So that's April 26th. Fast forward to November 2nd of 1996. Melinda's remains were finally identified with dental records. And that's because another body was found in the Hudson. And they were like, oh, yeah, we have that, like, Jane Doe, like, right? Or John Doe. So they didn't even, like, test to see. Not at the time. No. His remains were identified with dental records. And then November 1996. Now, because of the Village Voice piece and all these other things and talks or whatever, they kind of knew, ah, a lig and freeze, right? November of 1996, Riggs was arrested and confessed immediately. Like, and Riggs was the, was freeze. Yeah. Was arrested and confessed immediately. And then shortly after that, a lig was also arrested and confessed, but claimed self-defense. So dumb. There was no trial really because the FBI were trying to go after that Peter guy, the club owners. So they didn't want to charge these guys with first degree murder because they wanted them to go and... Because it was um, better for them correct. to get the club so, kids out. So October 1996, prosecutors were hesitant to charge them, um, both of them, with first-degree murder because they wanted them to testify against their former boss, Peter Gaitlin, or Gaten. So both of them eventually took a plea deal, pleading so guilty to manslaughter and only being sentenced to 10 to 20 years. So fucked up. Yeah. And he came in, like, I remember the news of him getting out of prison, mm. which to me is... If you're convicted of murder, you shouldn't be. If you leaving. dismember a person, yeah. you should not. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Be if you able know what it be in yeah. society. If you Thank know you. how it feels like to cut a body up, oh, you should not. No. Be able to be around bodies unless you're a surgeon. <laughs> unless you're a surgeon. Yeah. Okay. So March, 2010. All right. So remember, they got basically they October 1997 is when they you know yeah. did the whole thing and. Uh, pled guilty to manslaughter, which is just right. Outrageous it's just to so me. crazy to me that it's legal for the justice system to say, "Oh, you murdered this person, but yeah. I need your confession for something else." So I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a better deal and fuck everybody that has to go through that trauma of losing somebody. Well, just Angel's family. I mean, that's yeah, just, just like, for their own game, so just shitty. so that they look better for their yeah. bosses. It's all fucked up. So, and just remember the kind of person he was. No, he was awful. Yeah, he was so, a great person. Interestingly enough, Robert so freeze. Freeze Riggs, Robert Freeze Riggs. He was released on parole for good behavior in March of 2010. So he actually remained on probation until November 2016. So really the person who ended up killing him was a leg because he was just kind of unconscious from yeah. being hit in the head. Yeah. And then, but the then actual he, murderer was. Yeah. But then he, they both dismembered his body uh, along with. The, He's more like, of like an accomplice. Accomplice. Correct. To the yeah. But they both obviously dismembered his body together. And then when they were doing. I, I'm sorry. I don't know if I know anybody in my life that I'd be like, I would cut up a body for you. Yeah, I agree. Like, I love you. I would do no, anything bitch, I would for turn you. you in. I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, bye. yeah, gross. No, but basically they did it along with 10 bags of heroin or something like that or cocaine. Robert Freeze. So he was on probation until November of 2016. So he was out. What's interesting about him is that he actually went on to get a BA in anthropology from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. 
and received a fellowship to pursue a PhD in sociology from NYU. Oh, that's interesting. So now he's an associate researcher for a prison initiative at Bard College in New York and, and maintains a super low profile, which I think is really, really interesting. It is interesting. Because May of 2014, Alig was paroled after serving 17 years in prison. That is not enough. And came back to New York City. Yeah. And claimed to be rehabilitated and tried to have a resurgence I remember um, that locally. I yeah. remember there was a lot of we lived here though. press. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of press, and well, there we was, live here now. But you know. even World of Wonder did a lot of like stories about him at the time, mm-hmm. and like they wanted to try to help him to. Yeah, he was like trying to pitch all this kind of shit. Yeah, of, of whatever. And it also doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Like it feels like it was just a couple it years wasn't. ago. So what's interesting though is so May or well, not May, but in 2017, Alig finished his parole. That's when he tried to um, resurrect himself. But he was in the gay scene here. Yeah, he was like going out. He had. A curfew of 8 p.m. purposely i'm sure that the parole board yeah. did um so he couldn't really be out but he still was like yeah. he was still out in the community like it's crazy so Perfect anyway time for sirens to go off too 100 <laughs> if you can hear that fast forward a little bit december of 2020 a leg actually died over um not too far from where we live here on the upper west side just a little bit further up of a drug overdose at age 54 is it bad that i want to say good no i mean i completely like, agree and this is what's really annoying to me. When I started researching this, every fucking article that I could find was really only about him and yeah. his death and his impact on the whatever. Which, yes, he had a huge impact on the LGBTQ culture and certainly the club kid and just like creating these spaces. For yeah, but not people. everybody. Who, but it doesn't negate. Yeah, no. Just because you've, you've done killed things and you've you've helped a community doesn't mean that you're a good person if no. you've killed somebody. Right. You're an for asshole. No fucking reason. You are a fucking asshole. Also, you this owed him money, you story. bitch. This was yeah. your fault. Oh, and if you haven't so. seen the movie, you should really go see it because it's actually really good. Yeah, and actually, I want to now that I know about this other documentary that's actually streaming right now. I don't know what on, but that Glory Days, the life and times of Alig, uh, Michael Alig. I do yep. want to watch it, even though it's about him, because I want to. I, I want to. Well, it's see so that. interesting. Even yeah. hearing it from him is like, it it gives you a different perspective on who he was as a person. Yeah. You get to realize even more how shitty he mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But it's also interesting to like think about the landscape of Chelsea now because like the oh, yeah. the new gay area is now in like Hell's Kitchen area realistically. But even when I first moved here, it was still very much in mm-hmm. Chelsea. But that area is just so different now. Yeah. So even where the limelight was, think about the club kids in that area. Yeah. I, you know, when we saw that guy last night, it was in Hell's Kitchen. It, it was. was. Like on 56th Street. It was, yeah. So it's very much different in general from what, what it was before. So I, don't know, I wish I could go back and like yeah. see a little bit. And experience it. Yeah, yeah, that time. And it's funny because I came out in 2004 and 1996, 2004, it's not that long um, no, not in really general. Like and eight years. Yeah, and I, I don't remember, I mean, I was, you know, in a northern Colorado country town as a gay kid. So, you know, it's not like I was very close yeah, to New York. It was much but different. Yeah, but there. it's it's interesting just the the impact of the gay culture. Because you think about it now, RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul was a part of that. Yeah. was a part of that group, you know. Yeah, I mean, a even lot of content. I remember seeing some YouTube videos on the shows that they would go on. Mm-hmm. And RuPaul was one of the many people up there yeah. talking about being a club kid and this and that. Yeah. It's actually really interesting to just do like a little dive onto YouTube on yeah on them, and I'm pretty sure Sally Jesse Raphael did have them on. I'm pretty sure Sally did. Uh, that was and also like Maury was Povich. Jerry Springer then on on then? I don't think Jerry Springer was on then. I can't remember, but it was like Maury Povich. Maury Povich. I think um, Montel Williams. Oh my yeah, god! And yeah. there was Ricky Lake. Ricky. Too. Oh my god! Ricky right. Lake. Uh-huh. Oh god, those shows were fucking weird. Like, I used to actually like love coming home from school because we were latchkey kids. 
back in the day, my parents just had I don't this know what latchkey, latchkey kids means that you didn't like you were you were trusted at your house without supervision. So like we didn't have oh I've never uh, heard of that term. Yeah, latchkey. I don't. It's sh- a generational. It is. Thing. We oh. should actually look it up. I'm sure it probably has some meaning behind it that huh. better than what I could say. But <laughs> basically, we didn't have. Your after school, TV my was. brother, sister, and I would go home and we'd be at home by ourselves by yourself. Wow! until my parents came home. So yeah. we didn't have supervision. We didn't have yeah, you and I people watching us, anything yeah. like that. I mean, I grew up in foster care mostly at that same age that you yeah. were. So it was really different. Yeah. yeah. Which huh. I don't, I think you can probably get into a lot of trouble if you leave your children at a young age like that at home by themselves. Well, your brother's like five years older than you. I mean, it's not. Yeah, but this was still... We were still young. True. We still like, there was one day that my sister wanted to get ice cream out of a Ben and Jerry's <laughs> container. And instead of doing the smart thing by taking a spoon, she took a steak knife and went right through the container into her hand and it just gushing blood everywhere. My brother and I were down in the basement working out on the workout equipment. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, and she's screaming, blood's coming out of her hand. I'm cleaning it up. My brother's trying to call my mom. At her office, because I don't even think we had self. She had a cell phone. Oh, it was landline, bitch. Yeah, and then (laughs) my mom didn't know what was happening until she drove home and she saw an ambulance at our house. Oh my god, Palma. Yeah, I I can just imagine. Wait, wasn't an ambulance? I think so. Because we called her office and we had we like talked to her boss or something like that. Oh my god, interesting. Well, yeah. So that's why you shouldn't be latchkey kids. (laughs) No, it's yeah, interesting. Well, wow. There we go. That was good. That was a good story. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot more that I could have dug in, but I was like, that's a fucked up thing. It is a fucked up thing. Yeah. Murder's fucked up in general, but we have fun talking about it. We do. (laughs) And this is a good segue to our next episode will be. Yes. Which being that we're homicide, the podcast spoken by gay men talking about stories, we're actually going to do queer murders next week yeah well queer murderers queer murderers yeah. yes let's be more yeah. specific murder hers murder hers <laughs> murderers who happen murder to be hers queer of some degree yeah of some, some kind of identifying as queer which kind of i'm excited for mine today's was like a crossover it was me, but new york and queer but yeah but i loved it because that's such an interesting story it's also like a very iconic new york city queer yeah culture murder which yeah. is really really fucking interesting mine was not queer culture no <laughs> no <laughs> oh that's for sure you will be hearing this on october 31st we hope you fucking love it be sure to rate us five stars yes clearly S- subscribe to our channels subscribe follow us on tiktok facebook yep. and just Instagram. remember if you're a dick, we're going to have a segment. We're going to call you out, motherfucker. So don't come onto our platforms and be a bitch because we will call you out. Or do or it. Or do it. Because that'll be fun. Because it'll be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we welcome that. Yeah. Now We joked about calling them hate crimes of the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Hopefully we'll get some. Yeah. Thanks share. for listening. And yeah, let's you. do a little twinkle moment. You're such a homo. Bye. (laughs) Bye.